Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hello, everyone. We are live. (laughs) I'm Megan. I'm here with RJ and... We are excited because today we're going to be talking about a really fun show from 1990. We are talking about September 21st, 1990 at the Somerville Theater, which was a long boy release party. Pretty amazing. Um, Yeah. It's going to be fun. How are you, Megan? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, RJ? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through, you know, just trying to get through. That's what I'm, that's what I'm up to. Yeah, that's kind of like the theme these days. I was up too late last night, though, looking at everyone's pictures of tour in the 90s on Twitter yeah. after the Undermine post. Yeah. Oh, pretty awesome. 
Oh my God, it was so awesome. I just love seeing everyone's like patchwork and grainy photos and it was just awesome. Undermine is so great. I just listened to the first episode today and it's just like, it's awesome and super relevant to what we're talking about today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we, the second episode came out today with Amy Skelton and there'll be another episode on Friday um, with, a, with a musician who you might all know, um, a female musician from the jam world who's talking about a special show from 1992. And we're gonna have um, we're gonna have three episodes a week between now and December, and it's uh, it's quite a lot, but it's but it's fun. Um, those pictures, and if you guys, if anyone wants to go to to undermine Twitter, um, you you should check it out um, because Megan had dreads, which is which is an awesome <laughs> thing. Actually, was that was that in a I don't was, know <laughs> was that in a private um, thread or or that one? I may have sent you a close up in a private, but yes, I had I had dreadlocks. Um, I got started them that summer. I was on Grateful Dead tour in 1995 um, that summer, which was a trip in itself. And um, yeah, I had really really long hair, and you know, just like on the lot, I had met someone from Cincinnati and like went back and stayed with him for a little bit, and his roommate started dreading my hair. So it was like a rat's nest for a while, and then it became these like you know, kind of like shortish, spunky dreads. And it was a thing, you know, I was into it. I felt like people really knew who I was with those dreads. Like I, you know, I went to school at University of Arizona and I like got out there and it was very clear who was not going to be my friend and who was going to be my friend. So the dreadlocks were a real defining factor when I was 18. Yeah, makes sense. I had some (laughs) friends with dreads in in college. It's just, yeah, it was, it's a defining characteristic. Um, (laughs) Well, that, that anyway, the undermine thing is fun, and we are going to be doing a bunch of episodes. And um, this Sunday, we're going to be in Burlington doing a really big party at Nectar's to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Waterwheel Foundation. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. If if you're interested, if you're listening to this or watching, and you're in Vermont or in the Northeast, if you go to OsirisPod.com/ww25 you can uh, check out more information about that. But we're going to have a bunch of music from a bunch of guests and some interviews, and it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm going I'm going all the way up to, to Burlington. So I, I, hope it, I hope it's fun. Do you think it'll be good? It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be so fun. Just being at Nectar's is like such a special place. It's like it's our mecca, right? It's like our home place. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I love going up to Burlington too. I used to go up there like once a year with my husband just for like a winter weekend it's just such a beautiful awesome fun city so it's gonna be a great time it's gonna be awesome um so actually i was wrong about that url because for some reason that doesn't work even though i did set it up to work (laughs) um just go to live at nectars.com for for information about that show um and linda woohoo can't wait also can't wait to see you linda thanks for uh thanks for supporting us and Let's get an IPA at foam. Sounds great. Oh, now I'm really jealous. That sounds awesome. Uh, if, anyone, if anyone else wants to get a beer, just let me know. Um, there's going to be a brand new beer unveiled at Nectar's. I can say that. So that's happening. So also. exciting. Maybe that's I'm not awesome. supposed to say that, but I'm going to say it. Our so, listeners deserve it. It's fine. They, they deserve it. <laughs> that's awesome. We should also recommend everybody subscribe to Osiris um, Media on Apple HF Pod Premium, and you're going to get lots of good premium content, especially with Undermine coming out. You're going to get some special interviews and premium content that you would not get if you're not a subscriber. So check it out, $4.99 a month, and it really helps support what we do here. 
Indeed. Um, <laughs> what? Um, so we're talking today about this Lawn Boy release party, which 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 was the same day as the as the Lawn Boy album release. Um, even though they didn't really play very many Lawn Boy songs, but that's sort of beside the point <laughs> of the party, right? Um, I think so. <laughs> it's it's a pretty it's an interesting show, and I'm glad I'm glad we're going back to it. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a great show and just quintessential 1990 Fish. And 1990 was such an important year for Fish, and I'm excited to get into that. Um, before we do, though, we should tell you that we are sponsored by Section 119. They are the premier apparel brand where many fans shop to represent their favorite band in everyday life. They've got sophisticated designs and epic quality. My dog Reba loves them. Um, Section 119 offers donut-inspired button-down shirts, board shorts, dry-fit polos, and hoodies, among many other awesome clothing types. I've been wearing a lot of the women's workout clothes. They're so nicely made. The quality is incredible, and they're great to work out in, and they look super cute, and people stop me all the time when I'm running, which is super fun, and I always want an excuse to stop running. So um, if you see me out there in my Section 119 running clothes, stop me because I don't want to keep running. So check them out. You can use code SUMMER22, probably not for very much longer, and you're going to get a 20% discount on your next purchase, and you're going to love it. So check it out. It is code SUMMER22 at section119.com. I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a Section 119 shirt right now. Oh, yeah, you like are. It. And it looks it's, so good. See? It's, it's a little bit of, there's a little bit of spandex in addition to the cotton, so it's like, mm. it's comfortable, but it's got a little bit of stretch to it it's just they, they make really good stuff so it's I very high uh, quality can't recommend it enough um but this is this is fun megan i i think we're i think we're on track to to kind of like really try to figure out what was happening in 1990 i didn't really know i, I hadn't thought about 1990 until we did episode one of undermine as you mentioned but um it, it's it's pretty crazy what they were doing that year yeah, I mean, they played 148 shows that year, which if you think about it is like five months worth of shows. That's insane. That's the most they've ever played before or after, which is just crazy. They're also traveling more than ever before. They're going deeper into the South, out to the Midwest, Colorado. This whole year, they're sharing stages with bands like Panic and Blues Traveler, Aquarium Rescue Unit. It's just, it's crazy. They're just doing so much and obviously growing. It's like that time period where they're like, going to a city once playing, you know, a small venue. And then the next time they come back six months later, they're playing you know, a venue two, three, four times the size. So they're just obviously building by word of mouth too, which is so great. They're starting also to get some attention in the press. Some of it's kind of like dismissive, but they're getting talked about. And um, some people are actually writing about them thoughtfully, which is pretty cool. And musically, they've got a lot going on too. There's so much happening, and we we did talk to John Palusco about this and about like 1990 was the first time that they had played at the Capitol Theater. The first time they went to play at Tipitina's in New Orleans. They, I mean, 148 shows is 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 quite a lot. But this is <laughs> this is sort of at the end of I mean, toward the end of the year. Although they do have a fall tour after this, and they go to Colorado. But this, you know, somehow during this all of this uh, touring, they were able to record an album called Lawn Boy, which is, which is pretty good. Yeah. Classic. How, classic how do you fish. feel about Lawn Boy? Yeah, I like it. It's classic. It's not like one of the first ones I listened to a lot. Um, but you know, it's concert staples, right? It's got like, yeah. Tom's got a few songs on there. It's just one of those, I think it's a great album. It 
it was released on Absolute Go-Go label, which went bankrupt the next year. So I think that affected their sales a lot. Um, but it's a good album. And, you know, I think that what's cool about what's going on in 1990 is that they're starting to really concentrate so much on growing their fan base that they're starting to do things like secret language, even though they're not introducing it yet, but they're including these kind of like secret language things into their music. They're also doing like bluegrass and barbershop songs, which is like a big deal. They're not going like type two in a lot of their jams, but they're definitely, you know, playing the same songs a lot so that they're getting a lot of, they're getting really, really, really tight. Yeah. And I will say, because someone's going to say it in the chat or someone's going to going to email us. And and if Jonathan's watching, then he, he's probably thinking this and wondering why we haven't said this already, but it was <laughs> released. This was re-released by Electra in 1992 as part of their, their kickoff with Electra. They re-released Junta and Lawn Boy. And then Picture of Nectar was the first one that came out on Electra. Um, so it got like a re, it got a reboot in 92, but um, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about if you're like, if you're this, uh, if you're this band and you're like, cool, we're going to put out our second album and then the, mm-hmm. the record company, and then the company goes out of business. I mean, I just like, that doesn't seem like a really good, um, it doesn't seem like a good, good trajectory, but, but it all worked out for fish. Um, yeah. And I think it probably spoiled them a little bit, like spoiled them on wanting to work with big record labels, you know, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot, um, that went into this. I think we did a series on HF pod, like three years ago called backtracking where we went through, oh, I love we, got, that. Mm-hmm. we got up to, I think we got up to Billy breathes maybe, but we went, we, so we did an episode about lawn boy that I think you can still find if you, mm-hmm. if you want our, our deep dive into lawn boy, but this was recorded in, in Vermont, right? The, the album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was recording at Dan Archer studio, which is right outside Burlington, Vermont. Okay. So they, so they come to, the Somerville theater, right? This is Somerville theater is a capacity 900 theater. Um, this is, they've had seven total shows there. Um, and this was the second one. So the night before this was the first one. They, so they played there seven times over the, over a couple of years. And they, um, this is a, like, if you look at the fishnet ratings for, for September 21st, 1990, the lawn boy release party does not get you know, it's not like a hugely, <laughs> it's not a hugely popular or like sought after show, I don't think. But, um, but, but it was, it was fun to go back to. Yeah. It's a really good listen. I think, you know, people nowadays are really spoiled with the kind of fish we have access to. So I think that these older shows just don't get, you know, the kind of ratings that sometimes, you know, people might, there's no big jams. They're not doing anything, you know, super out of the box in a lot of these shows, maybe some in the early shows, but not many. There's also only one official release from 1990. So, you know, you have to search for these things a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and that's the Halloween 90 from, from Colorado um, is the, is the release, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need, we need some more. I mean, the, the soundboards are all good. So it's not like we don't have, you know, it's not like we don't have a, we have good good sound quality, but um, it's it's a good it's a good year. Um, there's so many debuts in in 1990. I mean, there were there were so many debuts every year. But one of the things that I guess we can talk about the 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 show in detail. But one of the things that it kind of stood out to me is how there aren't that many Lawn Boy songs played here. It's like a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of picture of Nectar songs, and I think that's just how it goes with 
with fish they were you know they played one lawn boy song and four picture of nectar songs which was the next album that hadn't been recorded yet so you know they were like they were because they were live band right they were just always putting out and playing material that that had already that they, they were ahead of the of the release schedule yeah their concerts are always like in the future based on what they're putting out there, like on the albums. And I think it's pretty amazing because these shows have so many like really complicated composed songs and they're learning them and playing them pretty quickly. I mean, there are six songs that they played this night that were debuted in 1990 and the average year of debut is 1987. So, you know, they're presenting a lot of new material as they're playing and they're not, I mean, there are not that many covers in the show. So it's just pretty incredible the amount of rehearsing they must have been doing to be playing, I think, pretty incredible versions of really complicated songs. You know, they've only been together for seven years. It's not like they've been together for a really long time at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I I think the, the first set, so they open with Reba, which is dedicated to my friend Dave. Um, not my friend Dave, that's what Trey said. Yeah, I was like, um, oh, you know Dave? That's yeah, cool. No, Dave. <laughs> Dave's great. Um, and then Paul and Silas, the the second song, which is a cover, um, man, there is a lot of, there's just some like crazy shredding from, from Trey in there. I think this is like when they first start getting into some of the bluegrass stuff. And it's, um, it's pretty impressive. I wouldn't have like thought about this, um, Paul and Silas from 1990 as being some, something worth listening to, but that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool start. And the Reba was, was good as well. Yeah, this Reba is amazing. I think that the the crowd also, when you listen back to the show, just stood out to me so much. They are rabid. I mean, they're going nuts. They definitely like have huge reactions to certain songs. Reba was one of them. And it's just interesting how like engaged they sound. And I mean, Fish fans have, you know, if you go to a show now, they're still crazy. But this is it's easy to be like crazy when there's 30,000 people and you've been doing it for 25 years. It's like, this is pretty cool. There's like however many people in the Somerville Theater and everybody's just like freaking out. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's pretty awesome to see like how focused and committed and energized their fan base was even at this, at this point in their career. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And the, the Reba, I mean, the, the Reba like got a big reaction as you noted, um, and it, that song had been around for about a year. This is, you know, the the one song from Lawn Boy that was played. And that in the past year between, like, I guess, summer of 89 and this show and fall of 90, had been played 55 times in a year, wow. which is more than once a week. Um, yeah, so they're like, you know, and it's, it's good. It's, you know, like they, they're getting, they're getting into what Reba would, would become, you know, um, so I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. What what other yeah. um what what other highlights do you have from from set one? Yeah, I just wanted to say before we move on about the Reba that I feel like the solo that Trey does is like it's not really refined, but it's it's still effective, and you can hear them getting better at playing it as they go through ninety, which I think is really really cool. Um, I mean, the Ass Festival is pretty interesting because it's this like kernel that they built actually Gula Papyrus like around, which is not always, you know, the case. Um, it's cool. Sometimes they have like different kernels of songs and then they put them together to make a song. But this is like they actually took that and built Gula Papyrus around it. They didn't play it a lot and it only appeared twice alone after Gula debuted in February of 91. So it's pretty cool to think about this is like the beginning of that song, which is awesome. People went nuts for dinner in a movie. Like 
nuts. And also went nuts during foam. It was just like the crowd was bananas. I, I can't overstate it. They're really, really into it. Um, I think the rest of the set's cool. I mean, Eliza is just so gorgeous to hear. When are they going to bring that back? Like, I just, I really want them to be playing Eliza. Yeah. Eliza is so, well, about the crowd, it's interesting because the night before this was the first night and it's it's like a much higher rated show. There's like some, there's some really good musical moments. Um, it seemed like they were in a, they were a little bit sort of, tighter on the first night which kind of makes sense if this was like a, an event yeah. you know that was the the party and i wonder how much overlap there was in the crowd i'm sure there was a lot because you know massachusetts mm -hmm. is not not that far for for people to come down but um eliza is it's one of those like you know i think it's one of those white whale songs right it's only been played 22 songs 22 times there's nothing really i mean it's not like hearing it at a show would it's not like it would turn into a big jam or something but it's just like a nice, beautiful little little refrain that that is is from Picture of Nectar. But they they should bring it back. Maybe this can be like the MSG run. Although, did we say the other day that they're bringing back a song already for you? Yeah, I probably. I don't remember what it was either. But someone hopefully will remind it. <laughs> remind me. <laughs> I can't remember that far back, Arshay. <laughs> that was Monday. Like so much it has happened since then. It was a long time then. ago. It was a long time ago. Um, um, yeah. But do you, do you, I mean, would you be like, how would you feel if they played Eliza? Would you, do you think that would be like amazing? Cause you, do you like padding your stats with, with that kind of stuff or would it be like, yeah, okay, sure. I a mean, cool two minute thing. I mean, honestly, like knowing me, like I wouldn't even know what it was in the moment because I'm so just like lost in the moment and I'm not good at like calling songs in the moment. I have to like sit and think about what it is, but someone near me would know what it was and would be like, this is Eliza. And then I'd just be psyched because I love when things come back. I think that's so cool. I'd also like to hear them bring back LaGrange too. I wanted to hear that this yeah. summer. I thought they might because I kept hearing it on the radio, the ZZ Top version, but you know, oh well. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, the, I guess they played it once in 2012, but um, you know, other than that, it hasn't been around since since the early days, since, since we were all younger. Um, and I always think of you, Jonathan, because I remember you telling me that this is one of your daughter's middle name. Not, so not cool. LaGrange. No, not LaGrange, Eliza. Eliza. That okay. would be dope if you're not. It would be really awesome. This, I, I feel really like cool. I would know that. I probably yeah. already knew that anyway. You would probably know that, um, yeah. I also want to your... talk about what, what Russ was saying um, oh, yeah, during, or what Mark was saying about the ooing and the aahing during dinner in a mm -hmm. movie in the chorus breakdown. That was so cool. And I forgot about that until you just said that, Mark. And yeah, I feel they haven't played Dinner in a Movie in forever. And it's so weird that they didn't play it when we came back last summer after they've been doing Dinner in a Movie. I think everybody thought they were going to do that. Wasn't it like a, wasn't it like a, a definite they were going to open with it? 100%. At some yeah. point? Yeah. I feel like that was like definitely part of the predictions. It would have been really good. <laughs> oh, well. What, what was your highlight of this set? What would you go back to? Um, I'd say my highlight is probably, I'd say probably the Reba. Yeah, I'd say probably the Reba. I also really liked, um, the Mike's Hydrogen is fun too. Always. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It. That was like a pretty well kind of fully mm -hmm. formed, fully formed, um, Mike's Groove, which I, I don't know if I knew that it was like kind of fully formed in that way by, by 1990. But um, that's no, a I wouldn't have said that know? either. If someone said that to me, I would have been so surprised about it. Yeah. 
Mike's is old, right? It's been a long around a long yeah. time. Yeah, and I guess the first time they did the the whole thing was '88, but um, for some reason these songs all to me like until '92 or something are all like kind of individual parts, like the different mm-hmm. parts of Fluffhead, and you know. Um, but but I guess Mike's hydrogen, Jonathan would know, but I think the Mike's hydrogen Weekapog, I guess was was pretty fully formed at this point. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's it's a good it's a good set. Um, I wonder, yeah, I wonder what it was like to be there because there is like a, also, I guess the release party thing made me think that there would be more about the album, you know, there, it was really just like, that would make sense. Yeah. It was just a concert, which is, which is great. Um, did they play more of it the night before? I don't remember. Um, I think there was, I think there were more the night before, but, um, I don't know. I guess there were six songs from Lawn Boy the night before. So that, that must've been the big night, but also it's like, so so typical that they would just do all the songs from the album, not the night of the, of the release party. Keep keep everyone on their toes, you know? Exactly. Um, So good. What's your highlight from the set? um, I think the, I really liked the Esther. Um, I thought that Mm. the, I just like these, these songs that are where there's like a lot of patience early on because you, I don't know. I associate these early years with like so much, speed and them like really kind of like mm-hmm. going full speed on these songs and hearing hearing Esther and hearing it like breathe a little bit and like a little more you know there's just like a little more space in it which I really I really like so I think I like that a lot the Reba was really good too but I think like you said it wasn't it's not like you know a Reba that I would go back to a bunch of times yeah I think that's fair I mean it is pretty incredible how quiet and patient they can get even when they're playing so fast at this point I love that about 1990. Yeah. Um, so, so we're celebrating Lawn Boy, but b- before we, before we celebrate set two, um, we <laughs> yeah. have to tell you about Sunset Lake. How do you like that segue? It's pretty smooth. That was admit. gorgeous, RJ. That was gorgeous. <laughs> Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable <laughs> hemp products are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan searching for a mellow body high. Not too young, but but just young fish fan. Not like kids, but you know we're talking about young adults here. Just just to just to clarify, um, smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without some side effects that you might experience. So they have nine different strains from this year's harvest. There's something for everyone. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers, and they have a farm to table approach, which gets you great pricing on premium CBD flower by shipping directly from their farm to your door. I've said this before, but I like the CBD tincture. I'll probably take some up to Vermont this week and because I'm going up for the show that we're doing at Nectars and, you know, kind of old. So like, I don't sleep that well if I'm not in my own bed. So might might need some CBD. So check out their tincture, check out their flower, check out everything they have. SunsetLakeCBD.com. Use the code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. Megan, what, where do we go and set to? We are going on a ride. This is a pretty cool set. I actually really like this set. The set starts off with Golgi into Magila. Is that how you pronounce it? I never know how people pronounce it. Magila. 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 This is a great That's version of Magila. It. Yeah. It's a great, great version. And the stash cracks me up because like Trey is so into his Zappa like vocals. In Stash, especially, he's just like 
feeling it. He's really, he's really giving it. It's really fun. But one of the highlights I think is the four bends to Mockingbird. The peak is like truly, truly fantastic. The crowd is like right there the whole time. And it's just a really stunning version, actually. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Um, there's there's a lot of um, I guess in these early days, there's those peaks that you hear in in Forbin's in or in Forbin's Mockingbird in. I mean, even like some of the stuff we heard in in set one here, um, the Reba, but also like Mike's or Weekapog, they're really like kind of hitting those those different levels, you know, which is mm-hmm. which is cool to hear. Um, I think the the Megillah needs to come back. I mean, they last yes. played in two thousand three. I feel like every, every old show we talk about is like you know we have to we have to bring something back, but I. <laughs> but I but I think Megilla is a good one to bring back. It's not that hard to play. Well, actually, I don't know. I'm not a musician, but I feel like it's not like it's not as complicated as some some songs that they play. No, um, it's short. It's short. I think they should bring it back. Actually, that just reminded me that in Alive Again, when we talked to Trey about Megilla, I think that was the one where they had like a six hour um kind of rehearsal of that song trying to get the right <laughs> take with the horns and he wrote the whole thing out and charted it out and said that you know he was uh he was really particular that night um so maybe tab maybe tab maybe it's just a tab thing oh, that would be so cool yeah that'd be awesome um but i what do you think about the 19 the, the 1990 stash you said uh, this is only the fourth time this song has ever been played which is which is crazy is that but true? um yeah wow, that's crazy yeah, it's crazy I mean, it's um, super energetic, right? Like, it's yeah. just, it feels like they're excited about the song. Yeah. Do you think that, um, I guess the the kind of big tension release stuff that we hear in a couple of years later isn't quite, isn't quite developed yet, but um, you can kind of hear, you can hear where it's going. Yeah. I think that in 1990, to me, it sounds like they're really good at, at building up, but they're not as good at, as like releasing and then going back it's like more of just like a climb and then a you know a peak and then another climb and a peak it's less of like that you know the more nuanced like tension and release that they get so so good at so i think in a song like stash which is like build built for that it's you can hear that them still working on that yeah yeah um i just just to go back to mcgillock they did play tab played it twice in 2022 so it's definitely something that can that can happen oh, out Why there i know that i know out in the world actually i think i saw it at the met last uh september so i think it was part of the yeah it was part of the encore so mm-hmm. i just maybe they'll I play just, it again this fall i think they should play it again maybe they'll play it with someone from goose oh yeah that'd be awesome you know? i can't wait to see one of those shows yeah i, I heard that's happening yeah, that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Is that still happening? I think so. There's even a commercial about it. There was a commercial. <laughs> it's true. Um, so you talked about the the Colonel Forbin Mockingbird. Um, that's a that's a pretty pretty big part of the the set. Um, the Yunjo myself though is is mm. is pretty great. Yeah, this is my highlight of the set. It's fantastic. It's a really 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 good version. Like hands down, like not even for 1990. Like it's a really great version. Paige is amazing. His piano sounds so great. The energy toward the peak is incredible. There's just like they build up and then there's like this awesome rock and roll riff. 
Trey's like runs or his solo is like super classic rock, which is like very much of the time. And it's really fun. Mike sounds amazing. It's just, it's a really, really good version. You know, the vocal jam, meh, but the rest of it's great. <laughs> yeah, this was, I guess this was probably like the main, I mean, this was like the jam vehicle at the time, especially mm -hmm. for like some kind of like more open-ended improv, right? They could just kind of like, they could, they could rage on you enjoyed myself for a while. Yeah. Or like the intro to Bowie. Those were like the two spots that they like veered off a little bit, it seems like, but yeah, yeah, this was their big, you know, it's the fish theme song and it was even back then. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I like that version and the highway to hell closer. Um, before we talk about the encore, because I want to talk about the encore. So after these shows, they go to, they go down to Massachusetts and, and they play, you know, a bunch of shows in the East coast. And then in November, they go to go back to Colorado. And I mean, this is, I think in, on that tour, they also played in Texas. They played in New Orleans, they played in Alabama, and then they played a bunch of shows in, in Colorado and came back through the Midwest. So they're, they're definitely like making, making the rounds here. And we heard, as I mentioned a little bit from, uh, from John Paluska about this, but um, I don't know what, what's your, like, how do you, how would you describe where the band was at this point? Just because it seems like a little bit of a period of transition. Like they're going from, you know, a regional band to a national band. They come back to Somerville theater two months later. So they're playing, they're playing, they're kind of like hitting the same venues a couple months apart. I don't know. It's sort of like a, it seems like a confusing year, but maybe that's just because there are so many shows. I think it's just hard working, you know, I think they're like really like working their asses off, you know, they're like rehearsing all the time. They're doing shows half the year, practically, you know, I listening to that John Paluska interview, like I won't share everything, but just hearing about the way that they're traveling, it's not in style, you know, they're definitely still a little scrappy and long, long hours on a bus. Like it's, you know, they're pushing right now and, and they're growing in a major way. And it's, yeah. it's a testament to how much they were committed to it and to that growth and to continuing to write music and continuing to learn really challenging music and play it and grow the fan base. And it's pretty incredible. It's an exciting time that I don't think I realized like how big of a year this was for them. Yeah. 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 That's a good, that's a good way to put it. Um, we, um, Alex May just commented and <laughs> do a dive on 11.2 and 11.3. The, the oh, yeah. interview with the interview with John Paluska is about 11.2, although we, we spend more time talking with him about, you know, where the band was and his involvement than we do on that show. But that show is, is really good. Um, the next night, 11.3 also really good show. Uh, the 11.3 show has a double, double encore, which, which, you know, I think is a good indicator of a, of a pretty, pretty awesome show. Um, and our, our listener or viewer, I think this is Stacy said tab tour starts Friday. So Can't wait. we're, we're on, we're on deck for more music. I can't believe how little Trey like rests. Rests. No, he does you not know? rest. He's not he's rest gotta, at all. He's got to take some time and just, <laughs> just, just relax with his new dog and his cats. Just like, you know, I feel like he's he needs a machine. To just, I know. I know. Um, I think he's not like the rest of us, you know? He doesn't yeah, he's need not. To sleep. Mm -mm. <laughs> he's not. I need to sleep. That's what being sleep. sober is like, apparently. You can just yeah, do so much, maybe. That's got to be part of it, for sure. Um, 
All right. So we have to talk about this encore though, because yeah. whipping post needs to needs to come back. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, viewers, listeners, let us know what you think. But and Megan, I don't know what you think, but I think whipping post has to come back. I mean, they just it's been it was such a great early early era staple for them. Just so much, so much jamming, you know, that was done early on. And they brought it back in, in 99 at, at Deer Creek. But besides that, you know, it hasn't been played since the, the early nineties. So what do you think? Is it ever going to come back? Do you want it to come back? How do you feel about whipping post? Oh, I think it'd be amazing. I, I doubt it though. I don't know. It just seems like one of those songs that's like buried, but I mean, never yeah. say never, you know, but I think that it was clearly such a vehicle for them back then. I mean, Trey sounds unbelievable. It's just pure shredding, pure hose. Like it's just, it's such an awesome, awesome song. And it's some, the crowd just whips the crowd into a frenzy and the crowd's like screaming. And it's a very long version. It's awesome. It's like 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really, it, and it's really great. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just like a, you know, just a sweet blues jam, but you know, just a sweet blues jam is pretty awesome, you know? Yeah. And Jonathan wants them to bring it back, but only if Fish sings it. So that would be cool. I think that last time, was it the last time? Definitely in 93, Fish sang it. Um, I guess he, I guess did he sing it? I guess he sang it more than, more than that. Um, but I don't know offhand. I think in the, in the 99 version of Deer Creek was the first time Trey had, been on vocals since 1990 so i guess it, in wow. between 90 and 99 it was it was fishman leave it to jonathan to come up with these to come up with these amazing <laughs> things jonathan you should just maybe join us next time and you can add your <laughs> you can add add all your wisdom to to our conversation um oh and a highway to hell after the you enjoy myself before the whipping post encore another another great really like fiery cover um and like really good placement, I feel like, you know, yeah. after Yem and just to like rock it out to Highway to Hell and then end on Whipping Post. It's pretty strong. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a good a good finish. But there's no like, you know, our album's on sale now. Go buy it. It's no. just like play a show and then, you know, just go nuts and then, you know, and then that's it. And then go They've home. never been into self-promotion. I mean, I feel like if anything, they were like self-sabotaged by the kinds of like photos they would take for the press back then. But I don't know. I mean, do you think that Trey was like working on set lists the way that he did later on in the nineties at this point, like spending lots of time or I haven't yeah. heard a lot about that. I think so. I think this was probably cause they added, like you mentioned, I mean, they added, they added so many songs, this, just this year, I think they were starting mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to, how to fit everything in. I mean, the, this had, this show had, I think you mentioned the six songs that were debuted in 1990. So, you know, out of a, out of a, a show of what, 20 songs. I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot yeah. to, to, to mix in. Um, I think it's interesting that there's like Paul and Silas and LaGrange and Whipping Post, Highway to Hell. Like there's a lot of covers still in here. So there's mm -hmm. clearly, they don't have enough in the repertoire yet to just like have one cover per show. Like it's still, you know, there's, there's a lot of covers circulating. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's good. Um, cause I, I like these covers, but I guess by this point they were probably a little bit like, uh, we can't, you know, we can't just go out and play ACDC every night. 
Yeah. And I mean, I don't even think they still want to do that. I mean, they still play a decent amount of covers, even though they have like 800 songs or something, yeah. not really quite that many, but you know, I think yeah. that they, they're inspired to play a lot of these songs, but yeah, they do have a fair amount of covers still. And I think they, they need covers because their stuff is weird. And I think that like mm-hmm. people were into it, but like, you know, if you're playing at like in a city where maybe half the people in the venue haven't seen you before, you probably don't just want to play Esther and like yam all night. Like that might just like weird people out. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know. I think it's, you know, their stuff's weird. It's I think it's, it's a good point though. And that's like a, that's sort of the, from what I understand, at least that's like the band kind of um, for, formula you have to figure out if you're playing a bunch mm-hmm. of shows, right. You're doing either, you have to figure out how to bring like a couple you have to bring a couple covers to the table, but you don't, but not too many, but like, it seems like a hard balance. Cause you basically, if people start to start to turn like tune out a little bit, you want to bring them back with like, you know, some, a song that they know. Um, exactly. I don't know. I think it's a, uh, I think it's, I think it's a hard thing to do. Um, but Alex May says prep school hippie. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, five times ever played last time was, you know, well, long, long time ago. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure, Alex. I'm not sure about that. Um, now. And Mark said, Paluska said he would ask for a copy of the last couple set lists each night so he could make the show at that particular venue special. So yeah, John was involved with, with that as well back then. Um, and you can hear all about that on our podcast undermine, which is, which is another, another plug for us. Um, Megan, what's your kind of takeaway from from listening back to this? It's funny. Every time I listen to these old, older shows, I really like them. Like they're they have really good re-listening quality. Like it's I just love thinking about them and where they were at this point and how far they had to go still. And I just think it's they sound incredible, even though they're a fairly new band and they're kind of like still five years away from kind of like the pinnacle of where they want to be. But if you think about what happened in between those five years, like here they are playing at this small theater in Somerville, Massachusetts. And then five years later, you know, they're playing at Madison Square Garden. I think it's just pretty, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Four, four years from now, they're, they're playing Madison Square Garden. It's wild. It's a good, good, crazy, good reminder for people who are, you know, trying to play music and just getting started because, uh, that's it's not that long you know considering the no the life of a band which it's it is wild yeah it's pretty incredible their trajectory so i think it's great to listen back to these and you know they're fun they're cool to listen to and and they go by quick and you can hear how talented all of them are even back then yeah i think the one thing i feel like 91 maybe is like the time when they really start to nail the compose that's when like everything kind of comes together you know like the fast playing and the compositions all being kind of complete and hitting these bigger venues that's when it like starts to feels like you they put some like gas on the fire in 91 and that's when it starts like really taking off um into 92 it's um yeah. this is like a little bit before that you know yeah and then 92 you have just some incredible stuff that happens so it's yeah. it's pretty cool what happens in these two years it's um it's pretty fun to go back to and um you know this this lawn boy record um 
which I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the vinyl, but I know Jonathan does. I'm sure Matt does all the people who are better at records than I am, Um, (laughs) but someday I'm going to get it someday. Um, we did a show, a live show in Asheville, North Carolina in May. And, uh, Tom and I got there and, um, we were waiting for the show to start and someone who worked at the, at the Asheville music hall brought in, he knew that we were coming and brought in a crate and had every fish vinyl in it. Wow. Had Tom Tom sign them all. I was like, how, how did you, how did you have all these? And he had, he had all of them and Tom signed all of them. So I I can't remember his name, but now he has all the fish vinyl signed by Tom. So I kind of wanted to like, ask him if he could wanted to give me a couple of them but, but I that might have seemed to. rude yeah i think that was the right it might move. have been it's probably not it's probably <laughs> not that cool to take them no i don't think he would have been into that yeah probably not a good idea um <laughs> what anything else we need to cut this was fun look this this episode like this show just kind of flies by but it's a great time you know yeah exactly check it out if you haven't it's really fun to listen to these old ones and it's a calling to collect a, records. Yeah. Well, I think Jonathan is the master at it. I mean, even just to peek inside his office, you can tell that he does not fuck around. He collects some serious records. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. And I, before we wrap up, I have to say, Linda, thank you. She just, um, for those of you listening, she said, thanks for the Section 119 discount code. Some great things on sale. And just did some holiday shopping. Linda, you're the oh best. Oh, my God. You're on top of it. That's amazing. Yeah, really amazing. And And Linda, I'll see you on Sunday in Burlington. Um, what else, Megan? Anything else? I think that's it. Just everybody needs to listen to Undermine and, you know, rate HF Pod um on Apple for us. Give us a good rating if you like us. That's that's what we're doing. Um, thank you guys for listening. And and I guess before we wrap up, I'll just say we've been talking every episode about our friends at Fans for Racial Equity. Um hold on, there's some children coming in. Um, fans for racial equity <laughs> are seeking to build an anti-racist live music scene and promote liberation through racial equity in the world at large by activating the collective power of our community. Um, they, <laughs> Hey Franklin, this is, this is Franklin. Hi Franklin. Well, um, I'll keep going. Do you want me to keep okay, going? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Please. Okay. Good. You, you talk to the twins. So by facilitating thoughtful engagement around race and its intersection with other issues, free empowers fans to challenge discrimination and systematic oppression wherever they see it. To get involved in free's education, outreach, and community partnership programs, sign up to volunteer at fansforracialequity.org or share in the groove at the free table during a show. They're always set up. They always have awesome people working there. So come by and say hi. They'll be at all the upcoming shows, whenever those may be. Well, thanks, everybody. And we really appreciate you hanging out with us. And um, we'll see you on Monday at 4.30. Thanks, everyone. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.